Good morning. Welcome to Inside KZYX, aired the first and third Fridays from 9 to 10 a.m. to inform you about KZYX issues, events, and behind-the-scenes happenings. I'm your host, General Manager Marty Derlin, and my co-host and engineer today is Production Director Eddie Hale. Hello, Good morning. Everyone. Good morning. <laughs> Today, our guests are News Director Sarah Reith, who will talk about KZYX's local elections coverage, and Telecommunications Specialist Mark Spindler, a KZYX volunteer who's been consulting with us about the telecommunications system at our new studios at 390 West Clay Street in Ukiah. He's also one of many local citizens concerned about AT&T's plan to shut down the last landlines in Mendocino County. But before we talk to Sarah and Mark, some announcements. First, I want to let you know the Cantrip concert tonight at the Casper Community Center is sold out. This event is produced by Oak and Thorn Presents. That's Catherine Keegan and Oak and Thorn host Tim Bray. And as always, we thank them for their efforts to bring great Celtic musicians to Mendocino County to benefit KCYX. Uh, after this concert tonight, the next Oakenthorn concert is March 13th, featuring Kevin Burke, Noala Kennedy, and Eamon O'Leary. And that's going to be at the Little River Inn. Um, now, a regular update on the KZYX transmitter site on Cold Springs Mountain, which has been operating on generator for more than a year now. And I think I heard a little teeny little outage this morning during Morning Edition. Um, they do, you know, a little maintenance on it generally every Friday, but it lasted maybe 10 seconds. As listeners probably know by now, the site is operated by CAL FIRE, which is responsible not only for the site itself, but also for the power lines going up to the site, which were damaged in last year's atmospheric river storms. After six meetings with FEMA and lots of planning, CAL FIRE is about ready, finally, to start the repair, which first involves clearing trees and brush around the poles with firefighters and inmate crews doing the work and negotiating uh, these clearances with the property owners along the site. Uh, the contractor for the actual repairs has been finalized, so it is ongoing. Hooray. Hey, we're getting closer. And in the meantime, Cal Fire has gotten the right generator for the job up there. And knock on wood, we haven't had any problems up there in a while. So, a uh, word about our recent storms last week. KCYX was off grid power for a couple of days, and our generator ran perfectly. Yeah, that was... It's nice not to have to worry about that. It really is. It just came right on and was just off, awesome. Um, we were able to keep all our studios going all around the county and uh, make connections with all those studios. We did lose 88.1 um, for a while there. Um, That's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, we actually did lose power to our Talmadge studio as well as um, a the, the facility, the MCOE uh, campus out there lost power for a time, but fortunately it 
it well unfortunately it went out during um i think sunday afternoon during uh, radio haha for kids uh that got cut short i think almost by a half hour unfortunately yeah but, um, i forgot about that but other than that uh it did come back before the studio was necessary for a live broadcast again so that was um that was fortunate. Yes, it was. Could could have been worse. True, certainly. <laughs> and has been, yep. Um, on Monday, uh, this coming Monday, we'll be conducting another public tour of our site at 390 West Clay Street. We're still waiting for the city of Ukiah to install new electrical service on the site um, that's been stalled out because of weather mostly and uh, also at some point this spring we'll be painting the outside of the second building there the smaller building that will have little to no improvements uh painting the outside is one of those improvements uh, but anyway on monday the tour will begin at noon and of course it's free and we welcome anybody who wants to um you know Look at the where we're at and visualize the future there. Um, we'll have some of the members of the Building Advisory Board there to answer questions and show you around. And the group includes our project manager, Alexis Vincent, who really knows what's going on there. And I'll also be there. And, of course... <clears throat> Our building fund always needs donations, so if you're able to give us uh, a contribution for the future of KZYX, it's easy to do either online or at kzyx.org or in person or via USPS. My apologies, Marty, if you just said this, but do folks have to RSVP to... No. Okay. Just just, just show up at noon on Monday, and we'll cool. make you part of that tour, and we'll see how the weather is. I mean, it could be bring an umbrella if necessary. <laughs> yeah. So Eddie and I spent the part of last week and this week responding to a survey from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It's part of an annual ritual and duty responsibility for the station. Uh, Victor Palomino also participated in this, our public affairs and bilingual news reporter, as well as our bookkeeper, Stephen Winkle. We also had to submit an audit to CPB. So that was big fun. Oh, loads. <laughs> well, it, it is kind of interesting. The, the part of it that I helped with, at least, was um, determining how many hours in the last or in the respective fiscal year uh, was committed to, and they have a slew of different categories. Locally curated music shows is one of them, and that's always a big category. Is you know, I think the number came out to over three thousand hours a year of, of local mm, almost four thousand hours. Yeah, um, we average about ten hours. Hours of locally curated music programming a day, which is kind of really interesting to me. Um, and most of those, you know, some of that is late night stuff, but um, most of it is right in the middle of the day, in between morning news block and evening news block, and just there for you to enjoy. Um, and then uh, other categories were news and public affairs, which you know we we're, we're happy to state that we have a, a fairly prominent showing on KZYX, um, as well as uh, arts and cultural programming, which is was fun to 
to really look back and reflect upon. And then they had a category for what they called documentary, which um, is interesting to me. Uh, based on their description, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was more or less in-depth, long conversations on singular topics. And I was kind of surprised when I really thought and looked back on it how many shows we have that kind of fit that description, mm-hmm. primarily the Ecology Hour, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, and anyway, just sort of looking back at our schedule and delineating how some of those shows could be categorized or pledged of following their uh, descriptions, and it was it was fun. It was it was a little tedious, but it was just a little tedious. It was yeah, it's illuminating, and I think they ask questions to um, make make stations reflect on really what they are doing, and of course. That's hard to do without a little um, time to look back and catalog things because you get caught up in the moment and you're also following a template now here at KZYX of of the last 34 plus years. So we're kind of used to what we're doing and um, any little changes are noted. Uh, Gosh, people, people have trouble with change. You know, it's really hard. It truly is impossible to avoid at, at times. Don't don't get me wrong. I I, I am also uh, one who doesn't always like big sweeping change because uh, it's scary, just outright. I think that's kind of a human nature thing. But yeah. Oftentimes, it's a good thing too. So. Yeah. And I'm one of those people who who kind of likes it. There you go. <laughs> Something fresh. Keep yeah. it engaging and interesting. Absolutely. Um, indeed. Okay, so that's kind of our announcements. Do you have anything else you want to say anything about, Eddie? Um, I, I would like to just sort of mention uh, we are slowly continuing the process of, of creating new podcasts for each KZYX show. And if there is a show that you are interested in, of course, you can always check out the jukebox, but that is uh, limited as to how long programs stay up there. Um, but if there's a particular show that you're interested in, check out the show page for that show on the KZYX website, because as we are getting these podcasts up and running, we are linking their episodes to be listed on their respective show page. So, uh, like right now, Be More Now, um, is set up that way. Uh, I just recently got the Ecology Hour set up. I don't know if there are any, uh, I don't know if those producers have those hosts, those volunteers have gotten episodes uploaded yet, but um, those should be appearing soon. Uh, let's see, TUC Radio is also, you can find recent episodes on the TUC webpage on kcyx.org. Um, I know there's several other, but it's it, it's early in the morning, forgive me everyone. <laughs> my brain isn't firing on all cylinders yet. Yeah, we're trying to move the podcasts over to have the producers actually upload them and be in charge of them. Because if it's left to the staff, it's a pretty big job to do it for everybody. And it's less onerous uh, for the producers. And a good thing to know. And also then you can you can learn some basic editing skills if you don't have them and, and get them up there all, all clean and pretty. Um, well, it gives them the power, the power to upload. Thing, uh, you know, they don't have to just upload radio shows. They can they can create other content related to their program and upload those, and it's yeah. kind of neat. Not yeah, every, yeah. It, it's it's interesting nowadays with the world of podcasts and stuff. 
Well, I think a lot of folks kind of just assume podcasts in a way surplanted radio, but it really doesn't. It's a different medium, and not everything that would make a good radio show makes a good podcast, and not everything that would make a good podcast makes a good radio show, but there is a lot of overlap. So, Yeah, um, there is. There's some interesting opportunities there for folks to to sort of branch out away from what they might normally do on the radio here, but still uh, make content that folks might enjoy and and we're happy to provide that platform for them to do so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, I take your point about them. I, I think, um, of course they're delivered in a different way, podcasts, um, and you can design your um, appetite for audio in a very targeted way with the advent of, of podcasts and dip into a lot of different places besides your community radio station, but does offer um, an opportunity to uh, replace some of these things. Okay, um, now we're going to talk to Sarah Reith, who is our the KZYX News Director, and we'll um, talk to her about the elections um, and and the elections material that we have archived on kzyx.org. Hopefully. Oh, here we go. Here she comes. Joining us through the wonderful powers of Zoom. Yes. Don't know what we would do in this day and age without Zoom. No. It's just another example of how radio has changed over the years and um, the production tools that are now available to us. And even since COVID, everything's changed. Okay. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Are you there? Yes. There Hi. We go. There we are. Okay. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to KZYX, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, so let's talk first about what you have covered in the last few months as far as local elections goes in um, in Mendocino County and regionally. Well, mainly um, I've been interviewing the supervisorial candidates, and there are eight of them. Um, so we had hour-long interviews on KZYX, mostly at, at 9 in the morning, although our final one was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and all of those are available on our website um, under the News tab. You can just go to Elections 2024 and hear all of those hour-long interviews with the eight for the 1st District and two each for the 4th and the 2nd. Um, Matt Lefevre of Mendo Fever and I collaborated on putting together a Assembly District Forum that we aired simultaneously on KZYX and KMUD, and all of the candidates showed up, all six of them, and I was really proud of that. I thought that the two things that we did for that forum that made it especially vibrant where we gave the candidates an opportunity for rebuttals to every single question that they had, and we also um, asked them not to share their stories. We did not have opening and closing segments because the second assembly district race is so compressed. If Jim Wood, the uh, sudden announcement that he's not going to run again, um, the the candidates really have to, to sprint and make their case for why we should vote for them. And a lot of it evolved into their personal stories. Like here's why I'm a great person. Um, so we really wanted to keep it focused on what do you have to say for policy? And we made sure we said their names before each statement they made so that they would be associated 
if their policy point, if they said something really insightful that resonated with voters. And, um, and that was lively and vibrant and it was a lot of fun. And it was, it really went off almost without uh, a flaw technically, which I was amazed about because we had, I thought there were seven candidates, but no, only six, huh? Yes, uh, Cynthia Click was not at the forum oh, last okay. night, but um, but her name is still on the ballot. Okay. Um, anyway, it it so they were all zooming in, and you and Matt were zooming in, and we were originating the broadcast here at the Philo station, but uh, also K Mud was simulcasting it. So was it good? And it just really went off well so that was that was satisfying as well yeah yeah um okay and and any so you've been focusing just on these hyper local elections that take place on march 5th is that correct yeah i have not done individual interviews with the second assembly district a few of them have come through town and i've interviewed them um briefly but I haven't had the the long sit down interview with the assembly or the um, the congressional or senator um, candidates that that would just be a little a little more than than we have capacity for I think right and so how many incumbents are leaving the supervisors or or how many so some are not running some are is that right tell tell us about that situation. Well, Supervisor Dan Jurdy, who's the 4th District Supervisor for Fort Bragg and a few little surrounding areas, is uh, is leaving the Board of Supervisors. He's the longest-serving one. I believe he's been on the board for 12 years. And um, Supervisor Glenn McGordy, who is the 1st District Supervisor for Potter Valley, Redwood Valley, Tomage, and most of Hopland, is also leaving. And there are four candidates for that seat. So that's um, that's probably going to be a runoff. Uh huh. And so this this election coming up on March fifth is kind of a like a primary vote, and also for the uh, for the other candidates, the district candidates. Yeah, the is the received wisdom is that the assembly district is going to head into a runoff, and everybody is pretty sure that the one Republican in the race is going to be on, you know, in the runoff because about a third voters in in the district are Republican. And then whichever Democrat also makes it onto the ticket is probably going to win. That's kind of the the basic the conventional basic, forecast. Yeah, the, the conventional wisdom, yeah, that that um far more sophisticated political players than I am think is true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's let's talk about the uh, snafu in the election process here in Mendocino County. Uh, the the ballots are all sent out. That's part of is what is done as part of this election, and we had a problem. We had a little bit of a problem. Yeah, um, all fifty three thousand voters in Mendocino County received Republican ballots for the first supervisorial district last week. Um, this became known the countywide problem on Wednesday. Um, a press release went out about it at 4.30 on Thursday afternoon. A slightly more detailed document was dropped at 7.30 Friday night. Um, I was able to 
interview Katrina Bartlemay, the assessor clerk, recorder, registrar of voters, uh, Friday morning. And um, it's kind of become a bigger problem than that. Yeah, so, I mean, first it sounded like it only went to first district voters, that that error. But, in fact, it was all 53,000 um all 53,000 yeah. voters. That So that was confusing at the beginning or just incorrect information? Or did that first go out just as the first district and then it got changed to everybody? Well, the, the county office first started hearing about it actually from the coast, from voters on the, on the coast on Wednesday last week. And then by the afternoon, it sounds like they were aware it was a countywide problem where a subcontractor of the contractor is doing the ballot services, the printing and compilation and, and some other things, had sent an image, a test file to a subcontractor that was not the one that the county office had approved. And the story is that the subcontractor then sent out all the wrong ballots. They just sent out the test file. Okay. Oh, so that's a big problem that had to be corrected. And how was that correction undertaken? Um, well, now all the voters have received correct ballot, and we've been assured that there are methods in place that are approved by the state to make sure that the 400 or so voters who voted using the improper ballot will have an opportunity to vote correctly. Um, the barcodes on the ballots that were wrong match the barcodes that were on the envelopes. Um, the state elections, the, the Department of State Elections Office is investigating, and um, and I, I hope that they're... Bob, although... Um, doesn't sound like they're monitoring it. And um, I've been told by Katrina Bartlemy that she's never going to speak to me again because I shared an opinion that she did not approve. Um, it doesn't sound like I have access to the office. Well, you can but try, Sarah. <laughs> of course I can. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the issue... Of course, you can say, well, only 400 vote ballots have been submitted. There are 53,000 voters. It's sort of a foregone conclusion in some areas about who will win. But this, this just invites critique of our election process, which has been under fire nationally. Um, and, uh, <laughs> It's just become an issue in in our uh, U.S. elections and something that really wasn't an, an issue before. And now there seem to be, um, if there's a problem, then it just kind of opens the door to accusations of fraud and ineptitude and all sorts of things. So... I mean, do you see it part of as part of a sort of a national conversation or concern with election integrity? Yeah, um, this election 
is very local. Like there's no electoral college sort of just general mushiness with numbers in local elections for supervisors and for the assembly member. You know, sometimes people who run for supervisor seats or city council seats run win by four or five individual votes. So that's not 400 people, you know, that's, that's, you know, the, the last few people sitting to the elections office five minutes before it closes to drop off ballots, uh-huh. you know, that's missing a traffic light. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, a very it's, close margin. Yeah. Yeah, it is. This is actually an election where every vote counts. Yeah. And the, um, Bender integrated voting systems has not been responsive. That told us the name of the third party vendor. Um, they have botched elections before in Colorado and Utah. Um, and they've been mostly things like leaving off sitter lines and just things that don't look like they're politically motivated, just botched. And, uh, the uh, elections clerk in, I think it was Teller County last year, where integrated voting systems, close to 15,000 wrong ballots, um, elections clerk switched services and told the commissioners, supervisors there in Colorado, she said they've gone over to another voting system service. And she said they charge a little bit more, but you get what you pay for. Mm. Which I think is the thesis statement of this story. Yeah. And I, I think the point you make, too, is that you were able to uh, Google these guys and find all this bad history in their in their past dealings in, in Colorado and I think Utah and I forgot where else. Oh, Fresno. And- oh, Fresno. Well, in Fresno, it wasn't. The, there, the Board of Supervisors took the history of this vendor into account and decided to terminate their contract okay. before they could botch their election. Right. So you were able to find it. And the yeah. question is why, Why you know, maybe the research wasn't done and you would have uh, our elections folks would have discovered that this wasn't a good way to go. But... That's not what happened, so. No. And um, I, th- I think everybody, well, I, by this point, am kind of sick of of rehashing a possibly three or four conversation that I had with Ms. Bartlemy. But I do want to just hit on a in my conversation with her before addressing the Board of Supervisors on Wednesday. Um. I told her I was going to ask the board to terminate the contract. And she told me that if they did that, she would quit and probably sue the county. And I said, I'm going to ask them to terminate the contract. I wasn't trying to pick a fight with her. Um, And she told me that if I did that, she would never speak to me again. I would be off of her list. And I asked her why. And she said, because I, or I I asked her why she would, would quit. And she said, because I like integrated, they, you know, they, they sent a good rep. And then when I told her I was going to ask to terminate the contract, she told me she'd never speak to me again. But it seemed to me that that was an instance of a, of a public official 
prioritizing her relationship with a private company receiving public funds and making my relationship with her based on me following her instructions about what to say publicly, Mm. which is a huge problem. There are places where the press has to submit their opinions and work to government officials for their approval before saying it or it. And this is not one of those places. No. All right. Well, and we, we are, I think running an announcement and we're going to get it. I don't know if it's been translated into Spanish yet, but um, trying to, uh, you know, remind people uh, of what the situation is and to get the right ballot and all, uh, use the right ballot and all of that. And it just, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in this election and, and how it, how it all shakes out. Um, in the meantime, you can find more information at kzyx.org. Right there on the homepage are all are Sarah's most recent stories. And today's story was also, I believe, an election story. And then on the special elections page that you can find deeper in the website, you can hear uh, all the interviews and the forums, etc. All right, yes. Sarah, thank you so much. And... Uh, uh, carry on. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Have <laughs> yeah. a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Okay, that was Sarah Wright, KZYX News Director, longtime reporter, uh, also freelances for other uh, other entities around the county, and has and has done that also for years. So um, you can find her as you uh, search for more information on on the elections and we'll see how this um, this thing with integrated voting systems uh, turns out now um, we'd like to join mark spindler he is i'm putting my glasses on here he is a telecommunications specialist who has been um, assisting KZYX with planning at our new site. And he is also a concerned citizen uh, when it comes to uh, what's going on with um, the AT&T threat to uh, take away all of our landlines. Um, I will say that KZYX has has one landline left. Um, it's an emergency line. And we, uh, before we get Mark on, I'll just tell the tale that they we received a bill from AT&T last week, I believe, for $330 per month for that line. And um, we had been paying $128, which is still rather steep for one one landline. Um, and our bookkeeper got on the phone to AT&T and, and uh, got a year contract in place which reduced the price but it was still more than it was still more than last year so it it was 130,000 or 130 dollars sorry per month and uh so he saved us 200 dollars a month by by upping it to a or by committing to a year's service and now they're of course trying to pull the plug on all of our uh, carriers of last resort. Well, welcome, Mark Spindler. Thank you for being here on KCYX. 
Oops, I think you might be muted there. Yeah, you are. Yep. Ah, there you are. Okay. Thanks for thanks yeah. for having me, Marty. Yeah, thanks for being here and thanks for all your work and volunteer hours that you've put in on KZYX issues. Uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun for me. I uh, I love radio, specifically FM radio. And when I moved here about seven years ago from the Bay Area, my wife and I moved here. It's the first thing I did was look for a uh, um, NPR backed station that I could uh, get involved in. And now we've got the the new site in Ukiah, which is just it's really exciting. I I can't tell you how. Uh, how excited I am to be a part of it and working with the great team, Alexis and, and Rich and, and everybody at the station. Yeah. Um, well, we want to talk about some of the things you have planned, but let's um, I'm, I'm not sure which to do. Let's go to the AT&T issue first, I guess. This is kind of what I led with here. Um, so. You are one of the people who drew my attention to this issue. And tell me why it is so concerning to you. Well, on the surface, a landline, everybody says, well, what's the big deal? It's just a landline. It's much deeper than that. And it's much more important and critical, especially to our county. Um, We have historically had really poor wireless services. And really what AT&T is trying to do is to force everybody to abandon their responsibility of being the local loop provider and move to more lucrative uh, wireless and broadband type of services. And, you know, having a landline in Mendocino County could be a matter of life or death for residents and seniors who can't afford a wireless phone, whose uh, wireless reception is not uh, necessarily uh, good, and and um, we just don't have dependable dependable wireless connectivity here in the county. And I'll explain here in a, in a second why that is. Um, the, the there's estimated to have about a half a million landline users in the state, and you know within that. There are businesses and entities such as KZYX that depend on those in an emergency. And we all we need to do is go back to the fires and the storms that we've had and understand that KZYX, they stayed on the air and in uh, uh, contact with emergency services through their single-line copper-based landline phone. So it's it's it, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal to us, and um, it it also provides redundancy. Of course, when when one thing goes down, you have an option. And, right. Yeah. Um, and and explain the the technology of of the landline and why you believe AT and T. Once you you mentioned the more lucrative, um, you know, cell phone, I guess industry or whatever. But I mean, they're trying to get money out of these landlines, obviously, by well, way I think overcharging for something that's been in place for a long time and which is not a great 
you wouldn't think it would be that taxing to a giant corporation like AT&T to send electricity through the copper lines and and maintain their uh, lines to some extent. Right. And and that's a really good point. Um, AT&T will, you know, pound the table and say, we it's it's too expensive to maintain the the copper network and i i have to be honest with you all of the infrastructure that used to exist that supported uh landlines and you know reporting an emergency specifically their 611 repair bureau that's all gone away and so if you have a landline currently um, the only way that you can report a, a, a outage of service is through their website. Well, if the if the your internet is down and your Wi-Fi is not working, you can't really report it being out of service. So, the other thing is all of their uh, the way that they service uh, copper-based facilities. It's all what we call break fix, which it means that. Um, if it breaks, they fix it on a, on a case by case basis. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the last storm we had, I'll give you an example of that. The last storm we had there, I live up on Knob Hill in, in Regina Heights and, um, a lot of trees down a tree across the road. Uh, it took down obviously PG&E Comcast resides on the same, what we call joint pole along with AT&T and, PG&E comes out to fix their facilities. Comcast comes out, but AT&T never shows up. And there was a storm about, uh, was it last year or the year before, where uh, we had a cable laying across the road right in front of our house. And again, PG&E comes out, Comcast comes out, AT&T is nowhere to be found. And I had to call the sheriff's office to report the cable on the road, across the road that cars were driving over to report it as a traffic hazard. So it's it's not their story that they, you know, can't afford it and 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 whatnot is it doesn't really wash. And I think the thing we all need to keep in mind is that they are still a public utility. And I use public with quotes around it because we all know how that works with the C- CPUC with another firm called PG&E. And um, so it's really critical that that we as a community have the opportunity and take the opportunity. I think it's on the 22nd. We can talk about that in a second, but to, to really express our concerns over this. Yeah. So the, the California Public Utilities Commission is holding a hearing right here in Mendocino County on the 22nd. Um, they're holding actually two. Is it two in-person meetings? One at two, and one, one at, at two, six. And, and one at six. Right. I believe it is. And they are asking for public input. And um, you know, I I know it's frustrating. Often we um, make big efforts to uh, voice our opinions, which are simply ignored. Uh, but it is certainly an opportunity to let your um, your frustrations or feelings be known on this issue to attend that meeting. And I believe they, I think they have a Zoom or another way of also participating. I don't have the information in front of me. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, you're right. 2, 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. at the Board of Supervisors uh, room 1070 it is. 
Okay. And there's actually two uh, applications that AT&T has in. Uh, it's A23030002 and 003. And they're applying to withdraw as an el- what they call an eligible telecommunications carrier designation. And the second application, which is really the heart of what we're talking about, which is their application for relief from its what they call carrier of last resort obligation. Mm -hmm. And uh, those documents are really interesting, especially when you look at the uh, eligible telecom carrier designation. They list, you know, their, their contention is that there's all these firms that are lined up that could take their place. And if you look at the list in the document, uh, related to those applications, those carriers, over half of them are wireless carriers. That that doesn't solve the problem, okay? Those wireless carriers don't have a presence on cell towers within Mendocino County. And so what will happen is they will rely on uh, uh, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile to be their, they will use their services to be the telecom entity that AT&T is saying they, you know, can take their place. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, the other firms that, and I, I check each one of those firms, many of them are not even in business anymore. So this, it, it's really, it's pretty questionable the way that they're approaching this. Uh-huh. And I don't know, well, too bad Sarah's not still with us. She could quickly look up what their massive, massive profits are, AT&T, and their uh, monopoly, monopolistic, uh, they were broken up years ago, but they seem to be still one of the corporations on in charge of all of this. Where, right. Yeah. Right. Industry consolidation has really kind of driven that. And I think the point you made about, you know, your guys... KZYX's uh, individual monthly bill for the single line that keeps you guys connected to emergency services. Um, it, it's not like they're not making money off of this. They're they're still raking in profits. They're not huge, but it's still a profit line on their on their um, on their balance sheet. Yeah, and. You know, the other thing to consider, we talk about, you, you touched on this, that there there is no redundancy to the wireless uh, cell network. Most cell towers are what we call oversubscribed, which means that the average cell tower allows about, mm, let's say, 30 simultaneous voice calls and 60 uh, connections for 4, 4G data. And... So cell towers serving a high call volume will also diminish uh, signal quality, and you'll have an increase of drop calls. Everybody's experienced that. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, once you're linked to the tower, the transmission could could be fine, but if your your call moves to a tower that's overloaded, the call gets dropped. Mm Mm-hmm. And given the the relative small number of of calls that can be supported, the likelihood of the calls not being completed is high. And and I know everybody in the listening audience has experienced that all the time. Almost every single call time. one has, especially if it goes on past a, you know, a ten or fifteen minutes, you have you experience some kind of 
uh, droppage. And I, you know, it used to be a big deal. Now you just, you just wait, you try to dial it, you know, try to get it again. And then, as you say, but sometimes your spot is taken on the cell tower. Exactly. And you can't get back uh, in touch with the person you are speaking with. And right. I, I find that constantly. I live in Little River and the and the reception is iffy on the whole, you know, that whole area of the coast. And it just this brings up the, the, the subject that you touched on as well, which is redundancy. And it's something that we're trying to design as we design the voice and data network for the new location in Ukiah to where you've got a degree of redundancy. If one path fails, you can switch over to the other path and, 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 Wireless calls, call congestion, again, due to oversubscription, means that if a call's blocked to, to because of the capacity issue, their, their idea of redundancy is that we route you to an adjacent tower that's usually farther away, and is it, that's probably going to be oversubscribed uh, as well. Yeah, it's very frustrating, that this, this whole issue, and... Um... But it's that we do have a chance to voice our opinions on it. So coming up next week. Yeah, it's very important. Yes, very important. Um, Well, let's segue really to the future of uh, telecommunications for KZYX at the new site. What uh, what do you what 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 is our ideal uh, for for telecommunications there? What 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 are you working on? Well, it, it, it's it's on a couple of, of levels that we're uh, looking at this. And, and again, back to the redundancy uh, uh, issue, we are trying to build in a, a kind of a two-layer uh, connectivity to the, to the site on clay. And uh, ironically, the site is literally a fence line away from the AT&T central office there. Yes. <laughs> so, which I find just hysterical, but it, it works to our advantage in that uh, we will be able to get fiber connectivity from AT&T and much more bandwidth that we'll be able to uh, provide uh, to on-air uh, broadcasts uh, so that the, the, the uh, bandwidth will be much more reliable. It'll be more robust and what we're looking at is having Comcast come in as a secondary provider and have, let's say, the business office end of the operation run on Comcast, and then AT&T could, could handle the, the bandwidth uh, for on-air operations. So we're, we're trying to do that. We're uh, is there a, a way frustrated. To... I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just wanted to ask if there's a way, if uh, AT&T fails us on the broadcast side, can Comcast be take you know take its place under certain conditions or vice versa? Yes. Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. Exactly. Yeah. Just wanted to so, emphasize you that. Know, yeah. Ideally, we we want to design it such that KZYX will never go off the air. 
Ah, that would be a nice, <laughs> that would be a new day. Yes. Wouldn't, be, that, wouldn't that be something? There would be something. Yeah. And so now telecommunications is not just phone lines. It's so much more. Can you explain what that field is at this point? Maybe how it's changed since you first entered it. Yeah, I I have 35 years in the industry and uh, I started with Pacific Telephone, uh, went to Pacific Bell at the Vestature, then went to AT&T. So I know how AT&T operates. Um, then Lucent Technologies, then a, a firm called Avaya. And it's really changed. Uh, it's morphed into we've gone from uh, just copper-based type of communications to long distance. We all remember how big a deal long distance was Mm -hmm. and um then voice kind of merged together as a as a single technology and then of course uh years ago uh wireless came into being and that is uh that has evolved and matured over the years as well the interesting thing is uh if you look at um well, I'll, I'll give you a specific example. I helped to design the voice and data system for California Academy of Sciences, and we also were responsible for bringing in the wireless services to the facility. It's a wonderful facility in Golden Gate Park. And I happened to meet with the, one of the regional VPs for AT&T, and this was back in 2007, 2008. And his main complaint was, you know, we just don't have enough cell towers. And this is in urban San Francisco city. And that situation has not changed. They still don't have enough cell towers. And when you consider that the average signal radius of a cell tower is about two miles, it can sometimes it can be farther, sometimes it can be less, less depending on <clears throat> obstructions. Um. This is really what we're, you know, faced with here in the county is just not enough cell service. And when you talk about the move to 5G, the the next technology, it runs on a much higher frequency than 4G. And instead of two miles as a signal radius, you're down to about 1,500 feet without obstructions for 5G. So think about the number of cell towers, additional cell towers will have to be in existence for 5G to come into being in our county. Right. And then, of course, I know a lot of people are concerned about health effects of a zillion cell towers all beaming around uh, all of us. Absolutely. um, My wife mentioned this to me before I came on air this morning, that there are people who are hypersensitive to EMF devices and uh, uh, wireless, you know, radiation that that uh, uh, is emitted from your you know your your home wi-fi and being around the pg&e uh wireless meters on everybody's houses puts out a, a great deal of emf uh signals so that's the thing that i think needs to be considered for the people that just have a hypersensitivity to us not fair to have them rely on a wireless device that they may not be able to be around. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the effects of this sort of thing is really 
are, are not fully known or explored at this point. We're all willy-nilly into our phones, and they're everywhere. And obviously, a half a million landlines in a in a state of more than 40 million people, California, that's a really small percentage uh, of of uh of the carrier of last resort even even remaining here right and i, I think another thing even beyond the, the fact that there's people who rely on their landlines heavily for connection to the outside world in our county what about emergency services what about upd what about the sheriff what about cal fire what about of the emergency services all depend just like kzyx does on single line copper based landline yeah when everything else fails that's what they rely on okay well we have a call mark you want to take a call and see what yeah all right good morning call you're live on the air good morning thank you um i've also heard recently that they're trying to throw in like some kind of consolation prize like some kind of fm receiver um and i just wanted to remind folks and just please do not go for their for their uh you know distraction styled uh consolation prize it's critical that we stick with what we have and keep it working thanks for the time all right thanks a lot do you have a comment on that mark yeah i do um this is a a corporate playbook issue uh we're going to take something away but we'll give you something in return at a bargain price and uh no that's that's not the solution here i i think uh, and and AT&T has done this historically for services that they want to face. They grandfather services. We're not asking them to, you know, hand out landlines uh, without exception. Just grandfather the landlines that are there. Eventually, especially in the residential community, callers will, uh, our users, subscribers will drop off. People move, people will pass away. So, this is this would cost AT&T virtually nothing to do that. And I think that's a really important point. Don't be fooled by this. This is what corporations do. They test the waters and see who objects. And that's why we have to push back on this and say, no, you, you can't do this. Okay. Um, we have another call. 707-895-2448 is our call-in number. Let's take this one. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, good morning. Um, my question is, is sometimes when I call into KZYX and they just, and I'm on my cell phone, I can't get a connection, it will connect. And then it, Verizon, who's my carrier, will say, uh, we cannot complete this call because it goes to the hold system and there's nothing I don't hear you talking on the line or anything and then it disconnects me and I have to call which I'm doing right now on my landline so I'm wondering if the amount of services then because I have a G4 cell phone if it is then overloaded with the cell towers like you were just talking it's likely that that is happening when you when you use your wireless phone. So, because I've told KZYX 
numerous times I can't get a hold of you on my cell phone <laughs> because I'm in Ukiah and um, I will call trading time and they don't have a little um, voice thing that like you just did where I can hear the radio playing in the background. So um, he just basically it loses says it, Verizon cannot connect you. That's my big question, and I'll take it off the air. Thank you for right. the program. It's very informational. Thank you. Thank. I I think that's a really typical example. It kind of matches up with what I stated previously that, um, you know, cell tower is overloaded. And if you think about it, thirty calls—that's not a lot of calls. No, that's and nothing. When you overlay the fact that cell towers are at a premium, we don't have enough. Same old story. Um, it becomes an issue. So people need to be able to revert to their landline to, to communicate. Mm-hmm. All right. We have another call. Good morning, call. You're live on the air. Oh, hi. Uh, would fiber optic fiber optic cable be able to replace the copper landline or, uh, or not? I'll just take the call on the air. The answer. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Well, that's Thanks. an interesting question. Voice calls can be call, can be carried on fiber, but fiber deployment is still it's a going process and it's very expensive. Very for, expensive. Very expensive for AT and T and other carriers to deploy fiber. This has been an ongoing situation in the in- industry for thirty plus years, and so yes, fiber is great for increased bandwidth and and carrying more data and. Uh, uh, more brand, broadband type of things as far as watching movies and, and all that. Um, but it doesn't replace copper, in my mind. In my opinion, uh, it doesn't replace copper. Okay, one more call. All righty, Kelly, you're live right here. Just, uh, we got a couple minutes, so let's get, get the question. Okay, I'll be quick. I don't have actually two points. Uh, my name is Greg, and uh, this is a issue that I've been concerned about for like about maybe 10 years. And um, there's three things I wanted to mention. First off is during the Fukushima disaster, it was pay, pay and, and tele, tether telephones that got through the emergency. The cell towers went down completely. Uh, a while back ago, when we had a fire in Lake County, cell towers were down for three days. And they had no service at all. So it's, it's a serious issue. And then there was another one, which is really important. Uh, I think it was during another time when somebody accidentally cut a fiber optics line in Hawkland area. There was no redundancy on the fiber optics line, which AT&T had a fiber optics line running up the coast, but they didn't continue it and connect it in. So we lost complete access to emergency services. And at the time, I was part of an organization called the Grange trying to get satellite uh, wireless on our Grange. The sheriff was willing to offer... Uh, paying into our program because he needed to have access to his entire community during emergencies. So here you are, we're talking about redundancy, and I think redundancy is crucial. And so that's all I wanted to say. I just want, want you to continue with the conversation, but I wanted to add those issues. Okay, thanks. Thank and I'm sorry to say we're running out of time, so we'll maybe we'll try to get Mark back on the air at some point. But go ahead, Mark. Do you want to say one last thing? Cause yes. we're yeah, just one seconds. last thing. Uh, Loma Prieta earthquake. Everything else failed. Of course, that was before uh, the, the wireless revolution. But uh, landlines were 
pretty much the only public utility that stayed uh, in operation throughout the Loma Prieta. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. 